pregnancy, and type 1 diabetes. On today's episode of The Leap, we turn it over to Jesse Thaler-Moran, Lee Lipsy, and Leslie Day, three amazing women living with type 1 diabetes who have navigated the intricacies of pregnancy and childbirth. In this episode, Jesse, Lee, and Leslie not only share their own experiences from their journeys to motherhood, but they also cover important topics such as how pregnancy affects blood glucose management and insulin needs, diabetes resources they found helpful while pregnant, the importance of having a solid support system, and a ton more. This episode is a phenomenal resource filled with firsthand, real-world diabetes wisdom. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the episode. Okay, so uh, welcome to the BFC. Tonight we have um, some very special ladies joining us talking about type 1 diabetes and pregnancy. Um, there's a whole host of things we could go into, but we're, we're going to try and focus on um, some pretty important topics and, and how we got to where we are. So introductions. Jesse, will you go first? I will go first, but Lee, you're also one of the special ladies here to talk about diabetes and pregnancy, so you're not getting off the hook. <laughs> yeah, come on now. <gasps> okay. <laughs> um, so I'm Jesse Thaler-Moran. Um, I have one child. I have a boy who was born in May 2018, so he is almost two and a half. Um, I'm a lawyer, so I am a planner, and that's going to come up a lot, I think, when I'm talking about my pregnancy story, just because, uh, just like everything else in my life, I like planning an organization, so... There you go. <laughs> good, good. I'm a planner too. Hey. So, you hear a lot about planning in here. You um, are. So, <laughs> my name is Leslie Day. I have twins, a boy and a girl, Jake and Griffin. They're 13. So I um, had them in 2007. And I have been a type one. I'm 45 years old. And I've had a type, I've had type one since I was six. So um, I've been a type one for, for, for many years. So now I'm past the um, baby years. I'm in the teenage years. Um, we'll have another podcast about teenage years. Um, but today we're just talking about pregnancy. <laughs> so Lee, what about you? Awesome. So I'm Lee Lipsy. I have two little guys. Um, Sonny is seven and Eli six. Um, I've been type one. Oh man, I'm 37. So 27 years. And I had two C-sections. Uh, the first one was an emergency C-section. And then the second one uh, was not. And, and I fought several doctors on both of those, but uh, very thankful that both of them uh, had a healthy birth and, and they're, they're good. Yay. Okay, so we're going to go just uh, dive right in and let's talk about planning. So Jesse, uh, what did you know about type 1 diabetes and pregnancy before you got pregnant? You know, how did you learn it? Where did you get it? And, and, and what type of planning did you do uh, pre-pregnancy and during pregnancy? Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think it's funny, like, you know, we were talking about planning for this podcast. I think there's an expectation that a lot of women go into adulthood, women with type 1 go into adulthood being concerned about pregnancy and type 1. And I guess I kind of had my head in the sand about the implications growing up. Like, it never really crossed my mind as a, a complication or a challenge. Um, and then when I reached kind of my mid-20s and I knew that I was getting to the point that I wanted to have babies and kind of taking my diabetes more seriously anyway, started to kind of wrap my arms around and the possible complications and understanding that it really was important to have 
control going into pregnancy, right? Because it's that first trimester where, um, where the baby's like form is created, you know, like the rest of pregnancy is like growing and getting stronger, but then it's being that when, you know, the skeleton is being formed and the head and the face and all these crucial parts of the body. And so once I had a better sense of that, I actually, I brought it up with my endocrinologist and ended up making an appointment with the clinic that I, that saw me through my pregnancy, um, which was the prenatal, uh, perinatal clinic at Duke. And so I went in just to have like a consulting appointment. I was like, what do y'all look for? What are things I should have on my radar? And apparently that's so uncommon that like they kept forgetting I wasn't already pregnant. So I was like in my appointment and the next person would walk in and be like, congratulations. I'm like, yeah, I'm just a really good planner. So, um, but that the appointment was good just to kind of wrap my mind around kind of where I was at and what I needed to, you know, shoot for in terms of target A1C and, all that, um, I figured out I needed to bring my A1C down a little bit from where it was sitting. And this was kind of before the CGM was quite as accessible as it is now. And so I actually did like a two week, um, like basically like insulin test. Like I ate the same four meals for like two weeks straight. And I had a spreadsheet and I had my CGM on for some of those days. And so I was figuring out like, okay, if I bolus like this, I react like this, kind of recalibrated all of my basils it was a pain, but it, I, honestly, it was really helpful because it helped me kind of hone in on that little bit of tighter control I needed to really be in range. And then the other thing that I did on the recommendation of my doctor was I started taking prenatal vitamins before I even went off birth control because some women um, get pregnant so quickly that if you don't have that built up stash of folic acid and all those other good prenatal vitamins, I should say I'm not a doctor. None of <laughs> None of us are medical doctors. Lee is actually in the medical field. So I'm, I'm speaking kind of secondhand, thirdhand knowledge here. But my understanding was that it was good to get on the prenatal vitamins on the front end. Um, yeah. And then it did end up taking me, I think, almost a year to get pregnant with Alexander. So it turned out that that was a little bit overkill. And I went through like a bottle and a half of prenatal vitamins before I was actually pregnant. But I was very prepared by the time he was ready to grow. You had good nails. Yeah, good nails, good hair, all that stuff. Awesome. Leslie, what about you? How was your planning? And, and, you know, where did you go for your resources? Tell us how you got there. Really similar to Jesse. Like, you know, when I'm getting older, I was not thinking about anything, right? You're just trying to um, keep everything and have a good A1C. And, then when we got serious about starting a family, I went to my endocrinologist and I just started asking questions about what are some good targets and where should I be for this and um, a good evaluation of where we were and then a game plan of how we we're going to how we we're going to make some changes. So I did a, I did the exact same things as Jess. They were we were just trying to get the basal rate stuff right first and a good insulin to carb ratio for boluses and knowing that as soon as baby was growing all of that would change like every two or three weeks but <laughs> we had to get good on the front end um and I started prenatal vitamins early too so my biggest resource was my endocrinologist and um I never I never went to another physician though until I was actually pregnant so and what's funny about that jumping in real quick is there's not you know our, our babies were born over a decade apart Leslie and like there's really not a ton of good resources on the market for women with type 1 thinking about having a baby. I think I found one book on Amazon that was published like this decade. Right. So I mean I think 
networks like this and your endocrinologist are really going to be your best source of information. For sure. I totally agree. That was, I think the, you know, other than Googling and, and finding these threads that make you want to go hide in a closet, you know, um, it, you're looking for the, that concrete data and, and just learning. It, what's funny is I did the same thing as both of you. I went pre-pregnancy to a clinic in Charlotte that specialized in pregnancy because um, I didn't know and I just wanted to be prepared and you kind of like transition from that um, coming out of college and, and being a young adult and, and then just really wrapping your head around like oh, I'm, I'm about to grow a human and so I just how do I do that you know um, and it's and, not and just about your body anymore no right? and like, that's it's about me and somebody else and yeah. so a, a whole nother level of like thinking through things yeah, and caring. I think like, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know. I just think it, it's something, something changed in me right around then where I just cared so much more um, mm -hmm. about what I was doing. And, and I think that's being a mom <laughs> in general, but just uh, it happened kind of even pre getting pregnant. Right. Uh, okay. So labor and delivery. I think we all have different stories on this. So, so Jesse, let's start with you. What was your labor and delivery like? Um, and, and was it what you expected, what you planned for, or was it totally different? Totally different. Um, I mean, if anyone actually has an L and D story that goes according to plan, I feel like they're like in the minority, even if they don't have type one. Yeah. Um, so I was told all along that I would probably need to be induced around 37 weeks. I think that's pretty standard. Um, again, my understanding, not as a medical professional, is that that's when the baby is considered full term, but before those last couple of weeks when um, babies growing in women with diabetes tend to get really big and pack on those extra couple of pounds. So um, I'm tall, I'm five foot nine, my husband is six foot five. So we kind of knew we were gonna have like a sturdy kid anyway. Um, and so we were sturdy. planning. Sturdy is the word. Sturdy, <laughs> he's, he's still plenty sturdy, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we were, we were planning on that like 37 week window. And again, being the planner that I was, they let me schedule my induction for a Monday. So I went to like 37 in four weeks, in four days, because I wanted to like finish my last week of work so I could have my full maturity leave starting on Monday. Um, so I, I delivered at Duke. I went in and got, you know, all set up to be induced. They had done an ultrasound on me the week before and they told me he was measuring at like seven pounds. And I was like, oh, what a reasonably sized baby. Um, he was eight pounds and 10 ounces when he was born. So they were off. Yeah. However, um, so they, they did the induction, which... Uh, depending on the doctor you work with, it might be through like a, an IV drip or it might be through some manual sources. And they tried both on me and I was laboring. And then Alexander decided that he just wasn't in the mood to like have his heartbeat <laughs> while I was laboring. And so it became like a, a scary triage situation. And it's funny to talk about it after the fact because well, one, because we know he's, he's fine, he's healthy. Um, but two, because I went into this weird like out of body mode where like, I knew it was happening, but I was just like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. We're going to just like take care of this, you know? And my <laughs> husband, I think because he didn't have the distraction of labor, like his recollection of that hour and a half is like terrifying, you know? Um, so they ended up stopping my contractions, getting me in for a C-section. I had two epidurals, neither of which took. So they ended up having to do a spinal block to get the C-section completed. So it was like, 
it was an adventure. But I guess I, I say all that with my out-of-body experience caveat to say we were healthy. Thank goodness for modern medicine. He came out, you know, beautiful, perfect baby. Um, and there are times that you just kind of have to trust the process and know that you have a full team of medical professionals who are in tune to what you're doing, what the baby's doing. There are all kinds of machines hooked up everywhere. And, you know, thank goodness they realized something was going on and, and we were yeah. okay. That's uh-huh. awesome. I keep coming back to, um, this is like a repeated theme in my life lately, but just giving thanks for providers at our fingertips. Right. And and not only is it just with type one, I think anywhere, you know, if something happens or it's scary, you kind of go into that like fight or flight mode of, and, and you've got this amazing team that's, that's taking care of you. So that's awesome. Leslie, what about you? How how is your labor and delivery with the twins? (laughs) Um, so my pregnancy was not even anything normal. And so I I think I'm just reflecting as we're just, as I'm listening right now, that all three of us were, and I'm sure everybody listening out here, when they get to this point where they know it's time, they're ready to start a family. I think every female gets to that. And, you know, all three of us were blessed enough to have the ability to carry a child of our own. Right. Um, but not every female goes down that same path. So I think we all probably start the path the same way where we're ready to start a family. But um, whether you have diabetes or not, like your everybody's path diverges from that point. Um, so my pregnancy was a little different. I was carrying two. Um, I was carrying three. So we started with three and um we ended up with two, so I had to have a surgery kind of in between, mm-hmm. and um, none of this had to do with diabetes, but I had diabetes, <laughs> so um, my endocrinologist helped me through every step of the way, and what I realized was most other doctors just don't know how to handle stuff, so like, it was me, like I knew my body more than anybody else, and I knew what I needed to take care to get me through, you know, the day or whatever that was happening at the time. But my endocrinologist got me through, who's Dr. Morris, um, got me through a surgery. And uh, with that surgery, I had a really high probability of going into labor around 31 weeks or 32 weeks. It was just really known that if you had this surgery that, um, is 95% of the women uh, were, were going into labor around week 31 and 32. So when I was getting close to that, probably about a month before, um, and I was feeling great, um, my endocrinologist said, it's time to fatten up those babies just in case. <laughs> so she urged me to begin running my blood sugars a little higher. So y'all, this is just my journey. So this is not I'm not, don't follow my medical advice. Um, So we did, um, and we beefed up those babies to where I did go into labor um, early. We tried to keep them in, um, but they weren't ready for that at all. They were ready to come. So uh, in 31 weeks, uh, emergency C-section, the babies came and uh, they were healthy, and uh, I was healthy, and so we were able to make it, and um, they did, they did beef up, so, you know, if we, we would have kept going, I think both of them would have been eight pounds a piece, so um, at 31 weeks, one was four pounds, 15 ounces, and the other one was four pounds, 10 ounces, so I was carrying about 
you know, nine pounds of baby already um, in there. So that's my story. There was a lot to it. And I was <laughs> so thankful that I ended up with like healthy baby. Um, but it was C-section. It, I mean, a vaginal delivery was never a choice for me just because of how um, it came. And I really didn't care how I got them out. Like, yeah, I was just like, I'm just ready to have healthy babies and that they get here. And um, I think as if we've got 20 women on here to share their stories, I think every, every, every one of them would have a little bit different story, whether they were type one or not. Um, we just happen to be going through a journey and, and have type one too. But the, the amount of insulin, so now I'm going to go back to having diabetes, the amount of insulin that I needed like at the last week was astronomical. Like I <laughs> just never knew I could take so much insulin at one time. I was like, oh my gosh. And it literally went back to my pre-pregnancy insulin needs the day they were born. Like yeah. the day they were born, boom, done. I, I went from like a hundred units to 30 units in a day. Yeah. It was crazy. That, I think that is, um, when we talk about resources and this can kind of uh, lead into this, you know, uh, the resources that we use, the biggest thing for me that helped was like learning the why behind, you know, why are insulin needs increasing? You know, why? And, and, and then I had no clue that the placenta was insulin resistant naturally. So, you know, nobody ever told me these things. So until I went, my first pregnancy, I wasn't a CDE until after Sonny was born. So I remember in nursing school, the chapter on diabetes, I was like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> why? And, and, but that was huge for me is learning the why. And I think that, that was, that is what I would encourage any type one is to really learn the why, because no, there's not one book that's going to tell you, but there's a lot of great resources in terms of looking up, like, why do insulin needs um, basically quadruple, you know, and it's because around week 24 is when that, that placenta is producing those hormones, and um, it's naturally insulin resistant, diabetic or not. It's just if we're diabetic, our bodies don't naturally have that increase. So I was right with you in terms, I think my carb ratio was like one to three by the end and, and the insulin needs. And then as soon as that placenta is delivered, you're back where you were, um, yeah. which is crazy, right? And the importance that comes behind planning. Like if you don't know that, then you start bottoming out after you, you know, and you're on a pump and you're in the hospital. So um, I think the planning that comes behind that and just wrapping your head around why it is huge. It helps just calm. I think a lot of the unknown and the not, not necessarily anxiety, but just, um, I think we all diabetic or not, we have that fear and the, the, of the unknown of what's going to, what is it going to be like? And, and then you're low and you're trying to breastfeed and you're trying to, Oh, <laughs> feed me. Like it's it. But if you know, you can be like, all right, as soon as I deliver, I want to, uh, a, a pecan pie. I want a pecan pie. That's what yeah. they Thank you. <laughs> you earned it, man. But I do think one thing that's overlapped in all three of our stories too is the importance of being your own advocate. And like Lee, you're saying, for me, I really needed to know the why behind it. And Leslie, you're talking about working with Dr. Morris on your specific situation. I mean, I think the important takeaway maybe for someone who's thinking about getting to this stage is that just like with 
with diabetes management in general. You know, you can have the best medical practitioners in the world, but they won't know what you need to know to feel secure and to take the best care possible of yourself. So I think that starts way back in the beginning of your pregnancy journey, like figuring out what you need to ask and whether they recommend you see another specialist to make yourself feel better, all the way through to, you know, figuring out whether the hospital will let you have the, your insulin pump with you during labor or if they're going to you know, switch you onto an insulin drip. Figure out what's important to you and, and don't be afraid to ask the question because most practitioners are you know, they're used to a one size fits all because they just don't have time to customize to everybody. But if they know you have that special interest or that special need, a lot of times they can hook you up. Yes. Here's the thing, even in like your own personal care right now, right? Mm -hmm. So you can do all the reading, you know, you know that your insulin needs are going to go up over time. Mm -hmm. Maybe like those first like early trimester, they, they actually went down a little bit and then they went back up. Like that's how mine went, right? But you could read that online, but nobody is going to tell you then what you need to adjust yourself, yeah. right? Um, maybe your physician is watching you every day, but really when you, it, you're doing it. And so the pre-work that I did ahead of time to make sure that my basils were right mm -hmm. and that my insulin to carb ratio was right meant if I wasn't if I wasn't getting the results I needed, my blood sugars, the results that I needed, then I knew, and I did it for like two to three days, that was not an indicator that I needed to increase my basal. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, then whatever has happened inside, that's what I've been reading about. It's time to increase my basal by 10%. Great. And then I'd get the same insulin to carb ratio and things would work again, right? It was me understanding how my body was doing it and just being on top of it because that's really, you're taking whatever information and then nobody can tell you like you got to do it yourself yes. you know I mean just pre babies are not like you got to end up becoming do it yourself um it's just even more imperative that you are um paying attention to it ahead of time because you can do this like we, we did this you know all three of us like we did it and we ended up to be fine and the babies ended up to be fine and like just take the lead, like take that little bit of knowledge and then own it, like just own it. Yeah. And um, you can, you can have healthy pregnancies. Yes. And live with it, not for it, you know, live with diabetes, like be pregnant with it. But I think you can easily let that fear of like harming the baby and what is this blood sugar going to do? And you can, you can be consumed by it and then you miss your whole pregnancy, you know? And, and so I think the joy that comes from, uh, just becoming a mom, you know, we talked about this, like not every woman can get pregnant and, and, and some of the most beautiful families that we all know are through adoption and through, um, or not having kids at all or, or, but I think, families or, yeah. Yeah, I, I think one thing I've learned, I think in pregnancy probably showed it to me most of anything was just that a lot of times our fears don't come to fruition right? The, the way we think they, they are, or they're going to be different. And so really just living in the moment and, and making decisions, diabetic or not, healthy decisions for your body and for, um, but, but don't become consumed by it to where it's causing anxiety and stress because then your blood sugar is going to go up, right? And, and, and that's no fun. So I think that was um, really important for me learning because I, I felt myself in the beginning get real ah, you know, what am I doing? And, and is this harming the baby? And my blood sugar's 200. What am I going to do? And, um, 
And that faded as I just really focused on the decisions that I was making. Uh, to, and like you said, Leslie, you have, and, and Jesse, you have to be your own advocate, right? <laughs> and so, okay. Um, Tell us your delivery story, Lee. Oh, man. Um, okay. So, Sunny, um, yeah. So, actually, uh, placenta degradation is kind of common, uh, well, can be common in, in diabetics. So, that means um, it, it's kind of towards the end. And an indicator of that is that your blood sugars start going down um, mm -hmm. towards the end of pregnancy. Hindsight, I, I do believe I was just becoming really, really aware of, that I was getting ready to deliver and I was really trying to keep those blood sugars great. But they hospitalized me about three weeks before Sonny was due. Um, and he ended up being born at 38 weeks at nine pounds, 13 ounces. And that was with like a 6A1C the whole time. So, I mean, I think my family naturally has bigger babies. That's um, big, yeah. Yeah, like I talked to my mom, like I'm the only type one. And so, but um, I had eaten that morning. I knew he was just full, like I had eaten and he was just sleeping. But um, maybe like Alexander, he decided that he just wasn't going to move. Um, so during the scan, they were like, we, we're taking him now. My husband was not there. Um, I didn't have a cell phone on me. So I was like asking the tech, can I borrow your cell phone? I think my husband wants to be here. You know, can you, can we just put this off for a little bit? <laughs> like, so, um, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned. Like I just had this very calm, um, kind of like you, it was weird. Like I just was very calm. Like we're good. He's good. We're good. And he was fine. He didn't have to be taken to NICU or anything like that. Uh, no low blood sugar. He was just huge. Like he was huge. And, um, and then with Eli, I, I had a C-section fighting. I fought five doctors on it. And my husband finally looked at me and was like, look, <laughs> it does not matter how they get here, you know, and, and you need to listen to these doctors. So I did, and I'm very thankful for it. They both had, um, they both were great and healthy. And so I'm very thankful. Even the way I view birth is no matter how you birth, you know, kind of the same way, no matter how you become a mom, like, it's beautiful and it's just its own story. And, and so, um, yeah, I was thankful for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's move to post delivery. Jesse, we'll start with you in terms of breastfeeding and, um, jaundice and NICU, um, your support system and blood sugar management. What was, what was it like right after giving birth and, um, how did that affect your blood sugars and, and how did you manage those first couple weeks postpartum? Um, well, the, I mean, the insulin piece that you all were just talking about, definitely. My endocrinologist had me screenshot my basal rates right when I got pregnant, which ended up being hugely helpful because after going through the delivery experience, you know, I was sleep deprived and, you know, my hormones were raging and I was so focused on this beautiful baby that like, I had no idea what insulin even was, you know? So it was great that I had something written down that was like, okay, this is what I need to switch to. Um, Alexander was jaundiced, which happens not uncommonly with preemie babies. And so we, um, I actually ended up pumping in the hospital because we were trying to get as many fluids in him as possible to kind of flush that out and make sure that he was healthy and strong enough to go home. And, uh, so we ended up being in the hospital a couple of days longer than I wanted because um, he had to go into this like 
it's like a baby tanning bed, basically. I don't, I don't remember if it's a UV light or what they put on him, but kind of to just flush his system out. And they wanted to make sure he was healthy before we went home. And so that was, that was really hard, actually, because staying in a hospital, you know, you're not getting good rest because people are coming in and out of the room all the time. Plus, you have a newborn, plus, you know, all the emotions and the, the hormonal shifts that come from post-delivery. And it ended up, um, my husband and I had been convinced in the beginning that we just wanted it to be us when we got home. And it got to like Thursday of that week. And he, to his credit, just like pulled out the white flag and he went in the hallway and he called both of our parents and he had his parents come pick him up so he could go home and like sleep and take a shower and, you know, get a change of clothes. And my parents came to the hospital and stayed with me and helped me like they had me like monitoring him in this little like blue light bed and like he had to wear these little goggles but I was just so I was crying all the time like, <laughs> so, so that was a time like I, I think you know talking about your delivery plan not going according to plan I had this idea that we would like learn how to be a family first and then we would bring these other people in and it turned out that like I was I was so thankful we had this support system to kind of step in and even just to be there you know more so than doing tangible things just ended up going a long way um and then we, so we went home that Saturday and uh you know then it was just the it was the transition of being at home with a newborn and having diabetes on top of that so being really reliant on my CGM because I was so sleep deprived a lot of times I, I did not feel as in tune with my blood sugars as I normally would learned pretty quickly to stash low supplies like everywhere, like up in Alexander's room next to the rocker, in the rocker I was using downstairs next to my bedside table. Anytime um, breastfeeding tends to drop blood sugar. So a lot of times I would have to treat a low if I didn't adjust in advance of breastfeeding. And just the last thing you want is to like, you know, be holding this tiny precious little newborn and realize that you're like not sure you can safely stand up. So I think there was a learning curve there, um, but I mean, I, t I tell people all the time, my maternity leave experience was like the best 12 weeks. Like it was just, it, it's such a, and I, I was very, very lucky I had 12 weeks, I should say, but it, it's just such a precious, unique time. And, you know, never again in your life do you get this time to just like slow down and stare at this beautiful creature you just made. And mm -hmm. I watched a lot of Netflix too. I mean, I didn't just like stare at it the whole time. <laughs> I've, I've not watched that much Netflix before or since either, but <laughs> It, it was just a really great time. But yeah, the support system was definitely key. Yeah. All right. So mine was a little different because my kids were born 31 weeks. So they went um, straight to the NICU. We had no jaundice issues whatsoever. Um, at 31 weeks, they really weren't even supposed to be breathing necessarily on their own uh, because they don't really, they're so young, right? Everything is not formed. But before um, I gave birth, they did get uh, the steroid on board to help their lungs get ready. And so I was able to keep them in for a good two days, which is how long they told me I needed to keep it in once I got that shot. Um, that sent my blood sugars through the roof. And that's why I had 120 units. Oh, wow. 120 units. Like I went past my like stuff on my pump. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you were literally changing your cartridge every single day. Those last I mean, oh, it's like awesome. checking it every hour. And so just so it wouldn't hit like 400. I mean, it was wow. so we were checking every hour bolus, checking every hour bolus for 24 hours. I did that. So I was exhausted. Wow. Um, so anyway, babies came. They indeed could breathe on their own, which was awesome. 
So their biggest issue was maintaining their temperature and being able to feed. So babies do not learn how to suck until like week 36 in utero. So they had no idea how to suck at 31 weeks. So um, that was why they were in the NICU was maintaining temperature and learning how to suck. So after two days of being in separate um, little cribs, they put them in the same crib and then they started to thrive. So that was, that was beautiful for them. Mama was all stressed out upstairs because I couldn't be with them every minute. And so the diabetes was like the last thing that I thought about, like, last thing. So thank God I had some friends that remembered um, to tell me about needing like some of those pads for your breasts because you leak. Okay. I did not know that. Like I didn't know. I mean, I had nothing to do. I had all my diabetes supplies, but I didn't have that. Like I didn't know. Like I didn't, there was so much I didn't know. And so I had this friend of mine bless her heart, who packed me this bag, and, like, she didn't even tell me what was in the bag, and she was like, you're going to need everything that's in that bag. I was like, oh, Rena, that is so sweet. Thank you for, and I'll start pulling out and stuff. What is this? And in about 24 hours, I realized why I needed everything that she had packed in there. Um, so I took care of my diabetes. Like, I had all my stuff. I didn't have any of that stuff. So she, friends are awesome. So make sure you got some friends who have been through it because they're going to tell you stuff that no one else tells you, which is really helpful. Um, My kids were in there for a month. So I got released after a week and I was going back there every day and I would stay all day. And because they were preemie, we could only touch them once every three hours. So I would sit there um, until that third hour would come where I can touch them, hold them, um, and they were getting fed through a tube, um, but we would practice sucking every three hours. And the doctor said, hey, when they get it, they're gonna get it. And when they get it, we just need to see them them feed for 24 hours. Literally, when they got it, they got it. And they fed for 24 hours and we were out. Um, Me, mind you, I was low all the time because I was trying to get my insulin stuff right. Um, but I was pumping. And so like my body just couldn't keep up. I couldn't eat enough. I couldn't like, I just, but it wasn't even the focus. If I have to be really honest and transparent, like I just fixed the low and I went, you know, like it's just, it's just in that mode. I just fixed the low and I went and I just kept going. Cause you know, you're just not thinking about it at that time. So if I have to speak to my younger self, if I could go back, um, Jesse, your doctor telling you to take a picture of what your basal rates were and what all that was, that was awesome. Like, yeah. I wish I would have done that because I didn't know, you know, either. So that, that would have been, that's really helpful. Um, stash and low stuff everywhere, had it everywhere. I wasn't on a CGM at the time. So, um, that was a, that's a, that's a big deal. And it was actually my kids that got me on the CGM because I came home one day and by the time I walked into the door, I realized that I needed my husband to help me and I never have to have somebody help me. And I was like 40 and I didn't know it. And I was in the car with them and I called my doctor immediately and I was like, I got to get on the CGM. So I don't, I can't, I don't even know how I did it without one um, back in 2007, but 
anyway, um, it took me a couple of months to adjust. So if, so if I have to be honest, like it took me a couple of months to, to get my diabetes back right. Like I, number one, I wasn't even thinking about it, but you're tired. Um, you're, you're not sleeping. Um, your hormones are all over the place. So I was either like really mad because everyone was holding my babies and I wanted to hold them or I was really crying because I needed to go to Target because I needed to get out the house, but then I felt guilty to get out the house. And like, I was like, oh my God, I'm just so many emotions. Um, but after that, you get your mojo back. It takes yeah. you a little bit of time. And that, that's whether you have diabetes or not, but it just takes you some time to get back into the cadence of you and feel like you again and um, and all of that. But we, when we finally got to the baby's home, it was after a month. And mind you, so for a month, I was only touching them once every three hours. Mm -hmm. I only missed two feedings a day for them. So I would, I would be, I was in the NICU all day. Okay. We got them home. And so then my husband and I were like, oh my God, I don't, I'm not sure that like we know enough to get them home. Like I'm not sure that that is. And so we got them home, like we got and they're all in their little, we had like these little baskets. So we had them in their baskets. And we were sitting there like on the couch and I was like, hmm, like, can we touch them? I'm like, are we allowed to hold them? I'm like, yeah, no, the whole them. So we got them all now. Anyway, that was that was mine. It was I feel like it was a long while before I got back to normal a little bit, but I, I had a month where I was going back and forth to the hospital for a while. So I think diabetes yeah. burnout is real too. I mean, you've been watching your blood sugar so closely since before your pregnancy, like we've all been talking about. So I think some of it is that like, I mean, you still watch it as best you can, but you can't be on all the time. No, no give me the chocolate cake. I mean, that was the first, you're, you're done once they're out. That was, I feel like the boys didn't go to NICU, but, um, I did. It took me a while to, I think it took me like six weeks to even function, like even want anybody to come over or just, I was just in this kind of, I remember the nurse walked in the first day and I was feeding Sunny and Chubby was feeding me and cause I was low and she's like, I just want to take a picture of this. It's beautiful. And, and both of us looked at her like, uh-huh, it's beautiful all right you know and and but it was it was beautiful because it was just you know taking care like Jesse said that support system and you don't even kind of realize how much you need it and it's okay to ask you know because our bodies what Leslie just said like it sometimes it's just too much like the low and the feeding and the hormones and the and, and you just Okay, <laughs> like diabetes does take a back seat sometimes because you're just fix it and go. Like your main, and that's how I was. Like the focus was the boys, and it was just um, I was dropping a lot with breastfeeding, and um, I needed to adjust a lot of my basils and carbs afterwards. Um, I felt like I was like really hungry after giving birth, and so I was just like eating a lot, trying to keep up with the demand of, um, and then having that 12 weeks, I had 12 weeks too, before I had to go back, but I felt, I, I didn't feel like that was nearly enough. Like I just was, I still felt like a zombie in terms of just being able to function. Um, but I will say, you know, I think 
even though type one adds this, this whole other dimension to, to being a mom and it's crazy anyways, you know, like whether you're just learning to, to, you just grew a human and you just, um, you're learning to feed and it's this beautiful transition into parenthood. Um, but it does still require, you know, that's why we always say it can like it's 24 seven. Like it does not care if you just gave a birth. It's like, well, you're low. <laughs> Take care of it. Yeah. Um, okay. So in, in closing, I kind of want to touch base on a couple things. So two things, two main things. If you could t go back and tell your 17 year old self something about pregnancy and raising children with type one, what would you tell her? And B, what is the best tip you could give uh, a type one diabetes who is type, type one diabetic who is considering pregnancy? Jesse, we'll start with you. Oh, those are hard. Those are really um, hard. <laughs> I, mean, I think the thing that I wish I had a better handle on at 17 is that better control earlier on gives you more options down the road. Kind of like how, um, I mean, this is an example, like how in school, making better grades gives you more options, even if you decide not to do something that, you know, those grades go towards. I think keeping your body healthy before you have like a, a clear purpose for it, other than, you know, existing and taking care of yourself just makes it a lot easier when it comes time to, you know, to decide to create another human. Um, so like that, I will say, if it feels really out of control and really overwhelming, it, it's totally possible to harness, um, to harness it and have some control over it. And it is so empowering to get your blood sugars in control when you didn't think it was possible. And then to grow a human on top of that. And I mean, you can tell the way that all three of us, I think have spoken about it tonight, that it's just, it's, it's such a powerful moving experience um, there's a reason that I think everyone likes to tell their like pregnancy and birth war stories, whether they have type one or not. And it's because it's such a powerful part of your life. So, um, I mean, I, I, that's a long answer, but I guess I kind of combined both of your questions. Like I, I wish I'd known to, um, sort of buckle down sooner, but also that it's doable. And when it's done, it just feels so. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Leslie. What you would know, you tell her? <laughs> I'll tell you, as I've gotten older I, and I reflect back at my younger self, I realized how, um, how part of me was like, dad blame, like I have diabetes and I was mad at it, but I wasn't mad at it consciously, right? You're, I'm, just deal, I'm dealing with it and it's great and I'm at camp and I'm positive, but then there's a part that I was just a little bit like, no, I'm not going to wear a CGM and no, I don't want to wear a pump, you know, and I, I don't want to have to worry about that. Right. I feel like that was the little inner Leslie, if I could let that person out. Um, and I'm going to go back to what Jesse said. Like if I could go back and speak to her and say, it's control is empowering and being able to learn your body and work with it versus fighting against it all the time. I felt like I, I know my 17 year old self was fighting against herself all the time, like all the time. Um, so if I could just go back and say, you know what, if you could just be with her, like her and her body and be with the diabetes and not working against it, um, 
learn how it works. Like learn how your body responds to something and work with her. Um, because if you're in that space, um, already before you're even considering pregnancy, then considering pregnancy is just easy. You know, you know that you're already ready. Um, so that would be my advice to the 17 year old person, which is girl, just drop your attitude and just work with her. Like, work with her. Um, so that's my, hmm. This is like a therapy session right now. Who would have thunk? Okay, what was the second question? That was the 17-year-old question. What was the second one? Yeah, the best tip you could give one who is considering pregnancy. I think I'm going to go back to the um, really understanding your, your, your basils and your insulin sensitivity to things. Like, if you can get that like nailed before the baby starts to grow, then I feel like you've got the, you got a really nice baseline to be able to adjust how you need to. Um, yeah. Does that really work for me? I, I thought a lot about that 17 year old <laughs> lately. Um, you know, I think what I would tell her is our choices directly affect our outcomes, right? No matter what. And, and they affect us, they affect, they affect our family, they affect our friends. So I think when we're young as a type one, you, you grow up, especially if you're diagnosed really young, you grow up with parents that can't really let go of you the way they need to uh, because they're constantly needing that blood sugar, constantly making sure you're okay. And you don't really understand that until you kind of circle back around and you're a parent, but then we get to that age and we just want freedom. And so I, I was, you know, your typical teenager and, and just kind of went, went crazy. And, and, and um, I don't regret it because I do believe it made me who I am today. Um, and our bodies are resilient. So, so please, you know, if you're struggling with that, our bodies are resilient. So you can choose to, to kind of get back on the bandwagon and, um, and live an active, healthy lifestyle. And, and don't tell yourself you have to, tell yourself you want to. Uh, because that more than anything just can change the outcome of your, you're, you're going to love your kids so much that you're going to wish to God that you did everything you could have done when you were younger to, to just preserve and, and keep those blood vessels happy. Um, so that's what I would tell her, even though I'm thankful for the lesson that I learned by, by not doing that. Uh, I think I'd go back and hug her. Yeah. <laughs> You, like just go back and hug her and say it's going to be all fine like it is going to be so fine like yes. you, you got this and like surround yourself by like wonderful people that like love you and support you like no matter what phase you're going through and man things will be amazing yes um, that's what I would tell her yes and and the tip I you know for anybody listening I think you heard it from all three of us get yourself a good diabetes educator and a good doctor. And if you have them, keep them and hold them tight. And if you don't have them, they are out there. There are some amazing providers and, and being able to communicate with them and just learn before you kind of dive knee deep in all this. Um, but it's doable and you can, I loved being pregnant. Some people hate being pregnant and that's okay too. Um, but I loved it. And, and I love, learning about more I just viewed it as a way to learn more about my body 
Um, and, and so I would say just embrace it and, and get a good team and, and then dive straight in because it is beautiful. Oh, thank you, Lee, for hosting us today. Yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us and uh, we appreciate you so much. And PMA. PMA, wrap it up. And as always, the content in this video and podcast is for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have seen or heard in this video or podcast. The reliance on any information provided during today's episode is solely at your own risk. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode of The Leap.